0: This weekend, we are going back to the book of Genesis, and our text for this week is going to be the fifth and especially the sixth chapter of Genesis. Now, here's the thing about chapter five and chapter six of Genesis this portion of scripture can be pretty hard to listen to, it can be hard to take in. It's too often neglected or even ignored both by society, our culture, the world, and unfortunately, often in the church. However, understanding the theological and doctrinal principles that are found in the fifth chapter and sixth chapter of Genesis are critical for our survival, not just our physical survival, but also our spiritual survival. Look at this verse in Genesis chapter five. Let's start there, verse one and two. The Bible says, this is the written account of the descendants of Adam. When God created human beings, he created, he made them to be like himself. He created them male and female and he blessed them and called them human. Now, too often we get bored with genealogies often. Are you with me on that? You're reading through the Old Testament or maybe the beginning of Matthew and you're getting these names, begot so-and-so and and begot so-and-so. We get bored with that. But this here in chapter five, Moses writes, this is the written account of Adam. And like all genealogies, this one is important. Now this could be Moses Him acknowledging a written source, which if that's the case, this would be one of the oldest written documents in all of history. What is it about? It is a record of godly descendants of Adam. And God is particularly concerned. He's concerned to record the names and the deeds of those who are faithful. And he will record our names, you and I, and our deeds if we are faithful. The book of Malachi mentions this as a scroll of remembrance. Even in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, we read that there are names written in the Lamb's book of life. And the bottom line is that God is really more interested in people than we are. God cares about people and their names, their deeds, those who are faithful to him. And in this text, Moses is connecting dots all the way back to the very first chapter of Genesis. You see... Here he says humanity is different than all of God's other creation. That you and I, humanity, men and women, human beings are God's masterpiece. If you think back to what we covered in Genesis chapter 1, that we are the imago Dei. We are created in God's image, that his spirit is breathed in us and it lives in us. So now as we get to the sixth chapter of Genesis, this is 1,500 years from the fall. 1,500 years from the fall of Adam and Eve to the flood of Noah. And while we see the names of God's faithful, we also have time to see the effects of sin on God's creation since the disobedience of Adam and Eve. One of the most significant verses in the Bible for all of humanity is found in this sixth chapter of Genesis. For one, Moses was reminding the Israelites of their identity and their purpose and their hope for survival. Two... This portion of scripture in Genesis 6 is a reminder and it's a challenge to all of humanity of what happens when we disregard God's divinely established boundaries. And third, it is a reminder of the result of the fall and of sin's effect on each of us, which is total depravity. Genesis chapter 6 through 5 through 7, the Bible says, Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. He continues in saying, and the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. It was upon reading these very words in Genesis that Martin Luther wrote these words. Without the Holy Spirit and without grace, man can do nothing but sin. And so goes on endlessly from sin to sin. But this knowledge of our sin is the beginning of our salvation in that we completely despair ourselves and give to God alone the glory for our righteousness. A true understanding of sin and its effects, the lostness of man and mankind's depravity are not only essential, but it is the first step towards salvation and life. It's with that, I've titled this message From Good to Grieved. Let's pray. Father, we need you today. Your word is alive. These words are not just narratives and story and ink on a page from years gone by. They are the living and breathing words from you, our creator. And I pray that in these moments, in these next few moments, that you would come, that you would make these these words alive in me and in every household that is tuning in today. Guide this vessel in your mighty name. Amen. The prevailing opinion of sin in Western Christianity is that although man is indeed a sinner, there is nevertheless some good in him. Often the familiar passage of Romans 3.23, which you may know by heart, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, fallen short of his glorious standard is used. And too often... Out of context and misunderstanding that verse, we think that, well, none of us are perfect, which is true, and all of us in need are in need of salvation, which is true. But we look at that verse in meeting up God's standard in this way, that God is here, and all of us on some type of diagram or level are falling short of God's standard. And so that when we come into faith in Christ, Jesus makes up the difference, and that's how we gain our righteousness. But there is a problem with that illustration. This would suggest that human goodness is the same as the goodness of Jesus. And that all we need to do is make up the difference. From a human point of view, there is good in man that allows us to regard some people as better than others. But this goodness must not be confused with God's goodness or this human standard compared to God's glorious standard. Because in reality, we don't even show up on that scale. God doesn't just say that people have failed to meet his standard. No, in Genesis chapter 5, verse 6, we learn he says that the thoughts of their hearts are evil all the time in our church and in the christian setting we have a phrase that you'll know it as soon as i say it that god is good all the time and all the time god is good for here god is really saying moses writes in that sixth chapter verse five if you were going to flip that it's that man is bad all the time and all the time man is bad six five The Lord saw, he saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every, every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Moses in Genesis chapter five, six, it's meant to contrast with Genesis one. If you go back to Genesis one, you'll remember God repeated after creation, he made light and he saw that it was good he made the birds of the air and saw that it was good he made water vegetation the clouds the sky mankind himself and scripture repeats God saw that it was good but here for the first time since then God sees and it's not good he sees evil this is just five chapters later so what's changed God's moved from good to being grieved and we ask what has changed? Sin, disobedience. Through Adam and Eve's disobedience, sin came into the world and sin is thoroughly hostile to God's purposes and blessing. Today, I wanna talk about four important lessons that we have to understand when it comes to, to sin and the lostness of man. Here's the first. Sin is an e- internal matter. Sin is an internal matter. Every intent of the thoughts of his heart, the Bible says, was only evil continually. Sin is not merely a question of outward actions such as adultery, stealing, murder, and other crimes. No but the very thoughts of the heart. Humanity, you and I, we don't look upon the thoughts of the hearts. We look upon outward appearance. We look to one's actions. The Bible even talks about this in 1 Samuel when it says the Lord doesn't see things the way you and I see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks into the heart. You and I see a man who commits murder and we say that man is a murderer. Our observation of an outward act leads to a judgment of what that man is like on the inside of his heart. We're unable to do it any other way. But God, he looks on the inside of the heart and he tells us that man is a murderer even though he may not have ever even killed anyone. We say he is a murderer because he murders. But God says he murders because he's a murderer. We say he is an adulterer because he commits adultery. But God says he commits adultery because he's an adulterer. We say that man, that woman is a sinner because he or she sins. God says they sin because... They're sinners. Jesus even he even reinforces this when speaking to the religious leaders of his day. At the time, if you read in Matthew. He's arguing with religious leaders and they are coming to him saying, hey, your disciples. They don't follow all of the rules. These religious leaders, the Pharisees, are paying attention to the outward appearance of Jesus and his disciples. And they're not following all of the outward rules. They're eating things they shouldn't be eating. They're touching things they shouldn't be touching. And Jesus is going back and he's trying to make a point with these religious leaders of the day on the importance of man's heart of looking at the inside of a man's heart, not just what he does on the outside. And in chapter 15, Jesus, in his very own words, says, but the words you speak come from the heart. Comes from the heart, that's what defiles you. From the heart come evil thoughts of murder, adultery, and sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. It is the heart that breeds these things. Jesus taught that a person was contaminated not by what goes into him, but by the state of the heart themselves. He even emphasizes this in the Sermon on the Mount when he repeatedly says, you've heard it said. You all have heard it taught that you must not murder, that you must not commit adultery. But Jesus follows it up. But I say, even if you're angry, you're guilty. Even if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you are guilty. God is always targeting and looking into the heart and the reality is our hearts are evil. You may have noticed I have some glasses here. This middle one represents sin and this represents us. And to illustrate this point, this is what we do based on outward appearance. We put a little sin in and it gets pretty dark and it corrupts everything. But you and I can't look into a man or a woman or a child's heart. So we judge a person's character based on their outward actions. But as it gets a little darker, well, that person is more of a sinner or worse of a sinner than me. And we compare And Jesus is here saying and Moses writes in 5, 6 that we have to understand our hearts are evil. Sin is an internal matter and all of us are infected with this disease. Here's the second point. Sin is pervasive. As God saw the heart of man in Genesis 6, he said every intent of the thoughts of his heart, every intent to the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Because it comes out of our heart, which controls what we think, what we do, sin affects every part of our being so that nothing we think, nothing that we do, nothing that we plan and nothing that we are is unaffected by sin. Please understand, I don't mean to say that we can never do anything that you and I would call good. Of course we can. Or that you and I don't have aspirations in the direction of real good. Of course we do. But simply, even our best is always spoiled by our essentially sinful nature. You can't remove part of the blackness of sin it infects everything you could dump this liquid out and there still would be a dirty glass sin is pervasive it's the same with sin that comes from our human heart it contaminates absolutely everything and that is why God said That is why God, who sees the things as they truly are, he describes in the book of Jeremiah that the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and it is desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad the human heart is? The answer is God. He's the only one. Even the apostle Paul, quoting several Old Testament verses, In Romans, the third chapter, he says, all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, all people and everyone in between are under the power of sin. And then listen to Paul's words. No one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God All have turned away, all have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul like a stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear in God at all. Sin is internal in all of us and it is pervasive. So where does that leave you and I? Where does that leave humanity? It leads me to the third point, that sin brings judgment and death. In that text, and the Lord, saw, the Lord was sorry that he had made man on earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. And then a few verses later, Moses writes, Now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. God not only sees that The wickedness of man is great in the earth, but the earth itself is corrupt and filled with violence. The judgment that will be directed toward the people is directed also to all living creatures. Everything that is on earth shall die. Sin has enormous consequences. God speaks as the judge in a legal language of the world. He is responding as the sovereign ruler to violations of his divine ordering of the world. The cause, the purpose, the explanation of the flood is the wickedness of the human heart. And wickedness always manifests itself in violence. It is the culmination of mankind's refusal to live within God-given bounds. We saw this first back in the garden with the sin of disobedience to God's will from Adam and Eve. It was followed up in the story of Cain killing his brother Abel. Sin has become a transgression of the way things should be in God's world. A violation of God's order. Moses reminds the Israelites when they were wandering in the wilderness and his words remind you and I today that human survival is not dependent upon sexual procreation alone. There must be a commitment to the obedience of God's moral order. If not, wickedness will prevail and the result will be an end in violence. Though God declared judgment through the flood, he allowed the outworking result of sin and wickedness to be their very own judgment. For what God decreed to be destroyed had already in truth destroyed itself. So here's the bottom line. If left to our own devices, if left to our own choices, our own pursuits of personal desires, humanity will destroy itself on his own. And really, this is the problem in today's world of being true to yourself. We live in a society and culture that says, be who you are, be true to yourself, whatever it is that's deep inside you. The problem is sin is deep inside of us and our hearts are evil. And if we are left to our own devices outside of God's moral boundaries, outside of his divine boundaries, our wickedness will lead to violence and the violence will lead to our own destruction. In an all too familiar verse, Paul writes, For the wages of sin is death. That's the cost of sin, death. But there's a free gift of God, which is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And while not very popular in our culture or even in the church, unfortunately, there aren't many messages. I'm thankful that ACAC is one but it needs to be said and clearly understood by all of God's people and spoken to the world on the outside, to every unbeliever, that there is a standard, there is sin, there is judgment, and there will be punishment. I said it at the very beginning that a true understanding of sin and its effects are not only essential, but it is the first step to salvation and life Here's the great news for you and I If you haven't discovered it already it's found in verse 8 I love this verse But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord But Noah a man found grace in God's sight While sin is internal in all of us, while it is pervasive and it leads to death, sin is conquered. There is grace available to you and I. What's awesome is this is the very first appearance in the Bible of the word grace. Here with Noah, he found grace in God's sight. While Adam and Eve, Seth and Enoch and others also found grace, it's here for the very first time that grace is explicitly mentioned. Now, Noah, he wasn't exempt from sin. Before this, it was still internally and pervasively within him. Noah was guilty before God and he was worthy of God's wrath and judgment. However... In the eyes of God, Noah was righteous. For the first time, when God looked down and he saw the wickedness of man, he saw there was one. And he didn't see Noah as filthy. He didn't see Noah as wicked and evil. Because of Noah's faith, God saw Noah as righteous. Noah found grace in God's eyes. It says in 6 verse 9, Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time. And he walked in close fellowship with God. The amazing thing, think about this, in the order of the scripture, grace came first. Noah discovered grace first. Noah didn't find grace because he was righteous. No, Noah was righteous through faith and so it is with you and I for those of you last weekend that put your faith in Christ that you called upon God's name you found grace first and today God sees you as righteous through your faith the writer of Hebrews even mentions Noah when he says it was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood he obeyed god and he warned him about the things that had never happened before by his faith noah condemned the rest of the world and he received noah received righteousness that comes through faith our righteousness comes first through faith this noah in the ark it's a foreshadowing of jesus and the cross and as we end today there's three great things about Noah's faith. There's three great things that you and I have to understand about our faith in Christ. And it it says it there in verse nine, number one, that Noah was righteous. I said it before, Noah was in right standing with God. He was still human. He was still capable of sin, but because of his faith, God saw him. God's eyes, when he looked upon Noah's face, He didn't see sin. He saw righteousness. The second was Noah was blameless. Now that word blameless, it has to do more with our relationship with others here on earth. Other people have to call you blameless. Blameless. And so because of Noah's righteous standing with God, he was obedient, he obeyed, he followed God's instructions by building the ark and others saw his, saw his life as blameless. So it is with you and I that our righteousness, this grace calls us to godly living. And last but not least, Noah walked in close fellowship with God. He was seen as righteous. He, he followed godly living and he was in daily Communion with Christ. It's not easy to hear about the evil and wickedness of our hearts, but left to our own desires, wickedness and violence happen. Sin has to be declared because it's in all of us. But for those of you and those of you last week that put your faith in Christ, when we are in Christ, Jesus through the cross took all of that sin. He took all of that wickedness. And while we may not change, when God looks upon us, he doesn't see it anymore. He sees righteousness. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the reminder that when we are left to our own decisions, that when we are left to our own desires, that we fail and we fall short and we destroy ourselves. I pray that if there would be anyone listening to this message today, Lord, that hasn't put their faith in you, that in this moment, they would cry out to you. They would repent of their sin. They would acknowledge that their heart is wicked and evil, that left to their own device, it's evil and violent, but they would repent and they would turn and they would trust in you so that you would see them as righteous. Thank you, Father, for your grace, the same grace you showed to Noah. In your mighty name we pray, amen.